Hello, everyone, and welcome to Human-Centered Security. So today I have with me Matt Wickhouse. He is the founder of Finite State. Prior to that, he's been 15 years leading the research and development of advanced solutions to some of the hardest problems in cybersecurity. He has experience across a spectrum of offensive and defensive cyber operations. Notably, he was the technical founder and CTO of Battelle's Cyber Innovations Business Unit. Matt has spearheaded complex national security programs ranging from detection of malicious integrated circuits in the supply chain to next generation intrusion detection systems for low power embedded systems. Matt directed numerous intelligence programs related to the security of embedded and IoT devices and has been the speaker on the subject at events around the world. So welcome, Matt. I'm really thrilled to be talking with you. Thanks for having me, Heidi. I'm excited to, to talk today. So I know I just read your bio, but tell us a little bit more about yourself and Finite State. Yeah, so, uh, you know, thanks thanks for the introduction. Um, you know, my my journey in uh, in my career has has certainly been an interesting one, uh, probably a little bit different than than many folks uh, today. So I, I spent a very long time at, at one place at Battelle, where uh, I started in uh, software development really early in my career as an intern uh, while I was going to school at Ohio State. Uh, got to work on on really interesting. Uh, projects and, and programs related to you know, modeling and simulation and, and robotic systems and eventually moved into uh, signals intelligence uh, because we were supporting you know, national security customers. And um, from there, uh, when Battelle was forming the, the cyber business unit, they were looking for, for someone who understood cybersecurity and, and really in the context of cyber intelligence collection missions uh, and I had been doing that work for a while um, and you know was kind of thrust into the the founder and CTO role for that division at Mattel and, and grew it pretty substantially um, over over about a, a six year period um, where we started with a, a you know effectively ran a small startup inside of an 80 year old uh, research and development company and grew it from about 20 people to you know getting close to, to 200 by the time I left and uh, got to work on a lot of different aspects of cybersecurity from uh, everything from uh, quantum, you know, key distribution systems that I had exposure to, to um, supply chain security for, for integrated circuits, to uh, a lot of work finding vulnerabilities in embedded devices, which eventually we started calling uh, the Internet of Things. Yeah, and I, I was talking to you before about that uh, embedded systems versus IoT, and I guess it's not even versus, it's just kind of a transition. Can you tell us a little bit about that and explain to listeners who may not know, you know, embedded systems, IoT devices? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this will kind of dovetail into um, into finite state and, and how we started that. So, um, you know, for, for a really long time, you know, when you think about a, a computer, you've traditionally thought about a, a server or a laptop. Uh, eventually, we started thinking about smartphones as, as computers. Um, but over the last decade or so, um, a lot of devices that could, that actually had a processor in them, they could compute, that tended to be ignored by, by security teams or by enterprises as, as potential security issues um, that, that started to grow. And, and we used to call them embedded systems, and now 
we you know broadly call that the internet of things so we're talking about everything from you know smart appliances in your home to security cameras that have been around and installed in, in enterprises and facilities for for decades um you know to um, automation systems to industrial control systems that that um you know handle uh, power loads inside of the, the power grid to autonomous vehicles and drones um all of these other things that are really computers inside and they connect networks. What, what happened, um, there, there, there are two aspects to that that kind of have led to uh, the, the internet of things. One is that the, the reason there's been so much growth in, in what we now call IoT is uh, a lot of the core functionality for these devices started to become commoditized. There were chips that you could buy off the shelf that had a lot of functionality built into them, like Wi-Fi and cellular connections and um, you know Bluetooth and, and really robust processing. And the software started to become more commoditized as well. So most of these devices are now running you know Linux or a handful of other operating systems that are that are pretty commonplace. And so it started to commoditize. Um, and what has happened is, you know, when you look at that through the uh, attacker's lens, is that you could find vulnerabilities in one thing, and uh, and it would allow you to gain access to lots of things because the the supply chains are so common across all of these devices. The software is shared between them, and and we we saw that firsthand um, when we were doing our work for for national security customers, and. Um, and that was what really led to, to me forming Finite State was that we were able to see this firsthand that there were these major, major vulnerabilities in these devices. Uh, we understood how to find them you know, quite easily. But what we also recognized was that the users and even the developers of, of these IoT products didn't know that they were there. Um, they didn't have tooling in place. They didn't have the expertise in place to be able to to find those and assess the risk for these devices. And so we we got into a state where our most critical networks, our most critical assets on those networks, from you know PLCs inside of a a substation to uh, you know uh, autonomous or connected vehicles, those devices were less secure than um, things like smartphones. And so we wanted to tackle that problem, and that's that's how we formed Finite State, which is a, a startup that we founded back in uh, in twenty seventeen, and and have grown since then. Yeah, and can you talk a little bit more about why IoT devices are less secure? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that um, I think everyone instinctively believes that that iot devices are, are less secure there are, there are there are sayings like um the s in iot stands for security <laughs> and um and there are several reasons that that we have that that situation one is that when you look at kind of the history of um software development and device development um over the last decade, an entire industry has stood up to help secure software, the application security or AppSec industry. And you, you get terms like DevSecOps, um, you have rapid iteration and you have tooling to help, to help those uh, development teams find security issues before that software is deployed. 
Um, in embedded device development or IoT device development, the, the industry hasn't really had the tools to, to adopt that. And so what, what kind of happened is you had a lot of products that were typically built by hardware engineers, electrical engineers, um, you know, mechanical engineers who are used to building physical products, and they started having to, to build software. And um, the way that that software was developed looked quite a bit different uh, than, than the way we develop modern software applications, you know, cloud applications and, and things of that, that nature. Um, it was very low level, the tools were different, and um, the practices of those developers were quite different. They're much more focused on functionality. And that's how the early, the beginning of, of IoT looked was a lot of people who didn't have a lot of security expertise were, were building connected devices. And, and that led to this situation. And since then, the AppSec market has still not caught up to, uh, to the, the needs of connected device developers. And, and that means that, you know, there's a pretty big divide between um, people who are building cloud-based web applications that have all sorts of tools available to them. You know, if you're, if you're building a modern web application, you commit your code to GitHub and it scans that code for vulnerabilities and lets you know if you have them. Uh, and there's lots of other tools available to, to teams to, to really uh, move security at the pace of development. Whereas with embedded systems, IoT devices, that just doesn't exist. And that's the really, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do very well at Finite State is make sure that we can close that gap and allow those teams to operate at the speed that they need to with the security that's required. That is amazing. And thank you for that explanation. Um, that really helps me. So I'm I'm guessing that it will really help our listeners as well. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is, is trust. We place a lot of trust in the technology that we use. Um, you know, and as we were talking, I was thinking about how as a, a user researcher, you know, we place a lot of trust in, you know, the people who are developing things. And we kind of just assume that security is built in and like someone's taking care of that. But I think, you know, what you were talking about is that maybe we just shouldn't assume like security is part of the user experience and it's really important. So, you know, don't just assume that these things are being taken care of. Um, anyway, going back to trust, um, and the idea that we place a lot of trust in the technology that we use, like talk to us about why that's problematic. Um, you know, we talked about in our initial conversation how we might trust certain brands or certain vendors, but how can we really be secure? How can we really be sure about their supply chains? Right. This is the the crux of, you know, what we call the supply chain security issue now, which up until December was a pretty obscure term that you didn't hear very much. And then solar winds uh, happened and now everyone's talking about supply chain security. Um, what we mean is <clears throat> it, when you buy software or you buy a device and, and you put it in your space, whether that's in your enterprise network, in your home, in your you know, physical environment, you, you have now established a trust relationship with the device, with the software, with the vendor, uh, you're trusting that there is some level of security 
in that product that it's not going to put you at at a risk that's beyond your your tolerance right so the the challenge with this historically has been that you know you have these underlying kind of feelings in general that iot devices are insecure but then when you start to think about the the scope of iot if we believe that's true completely then then that's a pretty big problem because you know things like routers and switches and cellular infrastructure and plcs all all fall into this broad category you know the question becomes how do you make these buying decisions how do you make these trust decisions and why why does it require trust the short the short answer for this is if we don't know what's going on inside of a device if you don't know what sort of software is inside of there, you don't know what sort of functionality is there, you don't know whether the development team has implemented best practices from a security standpoint, you don't know what vulnerabilities might be present inside of that device, you have no choice but to rely upon trust. And my view for, for, for security is uh, anywhere where we heavily rely on trust, there's opportunity to, to improve security. Uh, I would much rather rely upon data and testing and validation than trust. And so um, I, I think a great example is just if you're a consumer today and you are considering buying a, let's say a, a doorbell camera and, or, or let's say something even more serious. Let's say you want a, a camera for your child's nursery, you know, something that's very sensitive. How do you determine which one that you should buy? Because you're, you're putting a lot of trust in that device. You, you don't want someone to be able to come in and, and spy on your child. You don't want um, that camera to, to provide uh, an access point into the rest of your, your network. Uh, you don't want your data, you know, the video of, of your child to be you know, stolen from the, the cloud infrastructure that that, that, that camera is using. Um, and you really don't have much of a way to assess it. I think most people tend to trust the brand um, where, you know, maybe you trust a Google Nest camera more than you trust an unbranded uh, cheaper option from, from Amazon uh, that might be available to buy. But that's about the best that you can do as a consumer today. And, and that's what we want to change over, over the long run, primarily starting with enterprises who have the same problem when they're deploying sensors or cameras or building automation systems or you know even you know components that might uh, make their way into their own products uh it's really hard to assess the risk yeah and, and just to drive home the point like one of the things that you had mentioned to me is like yeah we we place this trust in these vendors and these brands so you think like if i buy this name brand camera i'm safe because i trust it but what you have explained is like how do you know what they're putting, you know, it's not like they're building this stuff from scratch, like they're, you know, putting components, you know, putting different software into this that that they don't have control over necessarily. So like, that's where a lot of these issues arise, right? Exactly. That's, that's one of the challenges with, uh, with IoT or connected devices in general is that um, there are really complicated supply chains and and actually you know there's there's two interesting aspects of this you may buy you might buy cameras from three different brands but it turns out that they're the exact same camera um software 
tends, you know, most devices have, you know, share a common DNA. They're going to have, you know, 80% similarity is what we see. You have a Linux operating system. You have certain libraries that are used. If you're processing video, you probably use some open source components. You might buy some proprietary third-party software from a vendor. And so when you look at a given device, there might be dozens or hundreds of different vendors who are involved in supplying hardware and software for that device. And all you can really see as a consumer or user is who has the label on that product. That is so interesting. I'm I'm thinking about trust from a user experience perspective. And for those of you listening who are user experience researchers or designers, uh, organizations like Finite State, I think, as they kind of peel back the layers and provide more transparency than we as uh, designers and developers then need to be able to communicate this trust um, with these devices. So like what I mean by that is, um, you know, trust is part of the user experience. As consumers become more and more aware of the vulnerabilities and, you know, the implications of using IoT devices, then, you know, we suddenly have to communicate, hey, like, I promise, like, we're trustworthy. But I think it's really important to understand, you know, IoT devices and uh, some of the security implications in order for us to be more effective in, you know, conveying that that we are trustworthy, right? Like, I, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Matt, but I think that's that's going to be something that, be, that becomes increasingly important as consumers become more aware of of some of the things that you're talking about. Yeah, you know, my view is that I think that there are several initiatives that are going on in the industry that can help, but um, every time consumers' trust becomes violated in one way, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you two examples, um, it, it means that we have to find ways to, to go beyond just trust. Um, and, and we have to be able to communicate it and, and security becomes a really important aspect of, of product design, product marketing. Um, but transparency is probably the most important. And, and so, you know, there are, there are a few initiatives going on in the industry. Probably the, the one that has the most momentum right now is what's called the Software Bill of Materials Initiative. It, it's being run, it's spearheaded by, by one person in particular, uh, uh, Alan Friedman at uh, the NTIA, uh, which is a, a government agency in the U.S. Um, that, that that focuses on, on telecom. Telecom, but um, the the idea behind Software Bill of Materials or SBOM is that um, manufacturers, when they supply a device or they supply software, would also supply this bill of materials. And you can kind of think about it like the ingredients list on a nutrition label. Um, so if I'm giving you a device and inside of that device, I've used a particular version of the Linux operating system and I used, you know, OpenSSL uh, 101K and I used, um, you know, some video processing uh, software from, uh, you know, a third party vendor, I would, I would have to, to write all of that out and, and provide it to you as a customer so that you can make your own assessment on the risk. So it, it increases transparency. I think it's a, a really great initiative, um, but it's not 
complete in that it still relies on the vendor to, you know, you still trust that the vendor is giving you the right list of ingredients. Um, uh, regulation and an additional oversight on that could, could get us to where, um, you know, there would be penalties for supplying the wrong list of, of, of components and that, that will start to instill, you know, more and more trust and confidence in that program over time. Um, but to date, you know, we, we've had multiple instances where multiple pretty big instances recently where the end users trust in, in a product has been violated. Um, there is of course the solar winds, uh, incident, which was, you know, to, to really quickly describe that solar winds is a network, um, management software provider. They, they provide software that if you're an enterprise, you buy that software from them, you, you run it on your network, really in, in usually a very highly privileged, highly trusted part of your network, and you give it access to a lot. So, so you really need to trust the software. Um, what happened was they were, they were breached by a sophisticated, you know, attacker, um, who went in and modified the software before it went to their customers. And when they modified it, they effectively added malware into the legitimate software and then use that malware to then gain access to, to the customers of SolarWinds uh, and, and get into their networks and collect intelligence and you know, potentially enable them to do really nefarious things. Um, that eroded trust, right? Uh, anyone that was, that was affected by that as a customer of, of solar winds, uh, feels, you know, they, they've had a lot of work to do. They've, they've lost data potentially. Um, they've, they have brand, uh, reputation damage that, that comes from, from those sorts of things. They have potential economic, you know, significant economic damage. Um, you know, the, they trusted solar winds to provide secure software. Solar winds was a victim in this case of, of, a, you know, something that was fairly hard to defend against, but nevertheless, um, they, they have lost some trust in, in that particular vendor, in that particular product. And even something like a software bill of materials wouldn't have solved that particular problem. And then we have something that's a little bit more, you know, so SolarWinds was obviously an unintentional breach of trust uh, on, on behalf of, of SolarWinds. There's another example recently of a, a security camera company called Verkata that um, actually marketed very significantly in their product marketing that their security cameras were very, very secure. And um, they had a lot on, on their security page, uh, a lot of things that they were supposedly doing that it turns out they were not doing. And um, they were breached their their cloud infrastructure was breached um it turns out that they had backdoor access into every camera that was installed in in their customers um environments the data was lost they could have you know the attackers could have manipulated the data and then as as you know people have been digging into the company a bit more there have been a lot of stories about how they they just simply didn't care about security and, and were paying lip service to it um and so if that's your vendor um, and you're relying upon trust, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have a hard time because they're economically incentivized to 
you know, potentially tell you things that aren't true. And, and we've seen, we've seen that happen as well. Yeah, those are great examples. So this sort of brings us into risk. Um, and this is particularly interesting to me because, you know, before I got really into security, this really didn't occur to me. So it's possible that some of our listeners um, haven't done a lot of like deep thinking about risk, specifically risk in context. So first, I want to push this off to you because I, I don't want to define it. So, so can you define risk in the context of information security, um, you know, with the backdrop of maybe some of our listeners aren't as familiar with with that? Yeah, so um, there, there are a lot of different risk models out there for, for cybersecurity uh, and information risk. Um, but I like to think about it. Um, in terms of, you know, in terms of the connected devices that we're talking about. So typically um, when, when you're thinking about security risks, you think about a, a, a breach uh, or, you know, a violation of one of the, the triad of, of what we call the CIA, the confidentiality, integrity, or authenticity of, of data. Um, and so, you know, for example, if someone, uh, you know, one example of a, a cyber uh, intrusion or attack that, that someone can can levy against an organization would be a denial of service that would compromise the availability of a system. So if you're a, uh, you know, a payment processor and someone wages a, a denial of service attack against you and all of a sudden your customers can't process payments anymore, that's a violation of that availability, um, uh, you know, dimension and, and that causes you damage. It causes everyone damage. Um, with with connected devices there's there's kind of a new uh there's a couple other dimensions that are that are really interesting uh in particular it's that a lot of these devices are doing something in the physical environment so you have a, a plc that's controlling you know power distribution you have a connected vehicle where you know where it's actually driving passengers around um uh and so there are these these physical environmental risks that that can lead to anything from you know uh an availability issue let's say you know availability of a, a factory that's depending upon a device to you know loss of life in really severe cases and so so there's this physical dimension of, of risk that we need to be concerned about as well um the other thing that changes that that's a bit different is is how we look at confidentiality so, and this is where, you know, privacy and security, the, the, the differences between privacy and security come into play. So when you um, put a, a smart TV in your home or in your office, there's an underlying expectation that the vendor of that smart TV is not spying on you, <laughs> that they're not using the microphone that might be built in there to listen to you or, in, you know, in some cases, you know, using the camera to, to watch you in your home. Um, that's kind of a confidentiality uh, issue, but it's really more of, of kind of this new dimension of, of privacy uh, when you have all of these devices in, in fairly sensitive locations that are capable of uh, 
you know, collecting information on you or on, on the environment, sending them to the vendor and, and you're, you know, hoping that they're not doing that, that they're not breaching your trust. Uh, and so there's also this privacy dimension that we need to be thinking about. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, you know, you tend to think of like privacy and security as, as separate things, but there's so much, there's so much of an overlap. Um, and it's important to know like the differences between them, but I'm glad that you brought that up. You know, the idea of risk and, and it, as I'm looking at my notes, like it does tie back to trust, right? Like it's, it's how much do we trust this? And like, it's also a judgment call. And that's what makes risk like so hairy and complicated is like, it's not black and white. Like it's, it's not binary. Um, it depends on the level of risk that you're willing to accept. And, you know, even if you think about it in our day-to-day lives, the router that you buy or, you know, the TV that you buy, you basically having doing a risk assessment in your head of like, should I trust this device on my network? And, you know, many people just kind of default to yes. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of thought that goes into it. Um, but both on the individual and the on the enterprise level, like, should I trust this device on my network is is actually a very complicated question. And going back to context, like it requires a lot of context to be able to answer that. I would love for you to describe how we or how, how Finite State attempts to put context around risk to help us make more informed decisions. Yeah. So you brought up a, a really good point. So I'll start with, with this. So Cybersecurity in general is almost is always a risk management problem, um, and for risk management, uh, you have to recognize that every environment, every individual, every company has a different tolerance for risk in in different ways. So, as a as a really really simple example, I have a a doorbell camera at my at my front door. I installed that camera. I did not feel that I needed to reverse engineer that camera and test all of the software in order to accept the risk associated with it in my home. Uh, I just said, you know, this is from a reputable brand uh, and my tolerance for risk at my in my home and in my network is relatively high. I'm willing to trade convenience for 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 some amount of risk. If I was the in, in responsible for information security at a US embassy overseas, my risk tolerance for a doorbell camera would be quite different. <laughs> um, we, you know, it's very important that an embassy protects the identity of people who are coming in the front door of the embassy. So in that case, um, if we felt that we really needed some sort of a camera on the front door, I would want to do a much deeper assessment of that device. I would probably want to add a lot more security controls around it and maybe say, you know, look, I have no tolerance for something that's going to send data to the cloud whatsoever. It needs to all be local. Uh, I need to have control of it. And I need to have a complete understanding of, you know, how an adversary might hack into that device, what the vendor's done in that device, what software is inside of it, how it's transmitting data, all of that in order to, to do a complete risk assessment. So, the, the the tolerance for risk really affects how much work you you need to put in to assess the risk um and 
most people who are in their home in general for for you know connected devices their tolerance is is quite high um because they're not likely to be a target of of something you know particularly nefarious where the effort for an attacker to to get in and compromise the device and pivot around your network and collect data you know it, it it's just not worth it for most individuals now if you're the president if you're you know uh the uh, Secretary of Defense, that that changes a bit, but um, for most people, your risk tolerance is high. So, so where where we are focused at Finite State is helping assess risk when the risk tolerance is much lower. So, in things like critical infrastructure, in large enterprises, um, even for product developers, uh, you know, connected device manufacturers who are putting products out into the market, it's really important that you have a very deep understanding of the risk associated with these devices. And the risk uh, winds up being things like, you know, what sort of third-party vulnerabilities are there? What sort of, you know, what does the supply chain look like for this device? Um, what sort of, you know, potentially zero-day vulnerabilities are there? How, how well have they built the software from a quality standpoint? We, we automate the assessment of, of all of those risk factors. Uh, and we look at things like, uh, vulnerabilities, security risks, legal and compliance risks, um, licensing risks, all, all sorts of different risk factors and help people really, you know, who have very low risk tolerance uh, assess the risk quickly so that they can use, use the devices that are appropriate for them. And how are you communicating this? And I, I'm just really curious from a UX perspective, like you could just lay it all, all on the table and say, here's what you got. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. It's actually something we spend a lot of time on um, as, as a company because, you know, we just talked about the fact that everyone has different risk tolerances and probably different risk factors that they care more or less about, uh, depending on the organization, depending on whether you're, you're, you're using a device or building the device. Um, our general philosophy is we try to when we when we analyze the, the firmware for a device which is how we we do the risk assessment we generate a massive amount of data um we there there are potentially hundreds or thousands or you know tens of thousands of different uh potential security issues that could exist in any any given device um the first kind of principle we have is is we try to cut through the complexity and give every every one of our users a high level view of risk that they can they can assess quantitatively and at a glance. And then we follow that up with allowing them to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into it if they want to. And so we just we we expose them um, in a hierarchical fashion to that to that data. The only way to do that in our in our view uh, when it comes to connected devices is it has to be somewhat relative to everything else. And so we've actually compiled data on hundreds of thousands of, of devices that allows us to say things like, you know, compared to all, all of the, you know, this very large sample set, the risk for this particular product is uh, in the 95th percentile uh, versus this other one that's in the 25th percentile. And, and so we think relativity is an important tool 
Um, it's not the be all end all. And sometimes you need to know kind of absolutely what sort of vulnerabilities are there and what sort of risks are, are there. Um, but it is a, a really helpful way to, to communicate risk to our users. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and, and yes, that's kind of what I was getting at. The idea that you, like you, you said, you have like 10,000 plus data points. You can't, it's not like you're putting that in a spreadsheet and saying, Hey, you know, go take a look at this. Like you have to prioritize what you're showing the end user. In this case, you know, you're, I'm assuming like security professionals are the end user, someone in IT, someone who knows like what they're looking at. Um, But that's problematic for them too, just because someone is knowledgeable about what they're looking at doesn't mean that they're not overworked or overextended. And they have like a thousand other things that are pinging them at that same moment. And like, you know, they need to make a judgment call in order to keep things moving forward. You know, and then the same thing, you know, if you think about it on the other end, if you're trying to communicate technical information to a non-technical user, they're going to get overwhelmed very easily. You know, you have to prioritize what you're telling them, help them make informed decisions without them saying, like, I I just can't, I, I can't even understand this. And then, you know, they walk away and they don't do the thing that they really needed to do. For UX people, like this is such a, a such an important thing to think about. Uh, I don't know if you have any advice for the UX folks listening. Um, you know, in terms of how you approach this, or I would yeah. love to hear. It. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say, you know, first, first of all, I think security is one of the industries that is is currently very underserved in terms of UX we we constantly hear about a lot of challenges in insecurity that tend to be uh tend to sound like uh we don't have enough people available to 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 sift through all of this data or all of these alerts or we have too many false positives we don't know how to prioritize things we need to hire more there's not enough talent available um you know our users are doing things that, you know, our users are acting stupid and they shouldn't do that. But a lot of that boils down to the UX for most security tools is pretty poor in the industry. And it's, and, and there is a ton of opportunity uh, to, to make that better. And so if you are a UX professional and you're thinking about jumping into cybersecurity, I would encourage you to do so because, because we need you. The, when it comes to, to communicating all of this information, it's incumbent upon the security industry to, to do better than we have been. And you know, the way that we look at it is, um, you know, the first thing we need to do is, is detect where there are security issues. And in that detection phase, there could be a lot, uh, and it could include a lot of false positives or things that are, that are less important. So the next thing that we have to do is prioritize them. And, and make sure that our users understand which ones are most serious to them. Some of that requires them being able to tell us what they, how they want to prioritize things. And some of it requires us to, you know, as, as experts in our field, to be able to help inform them of what they should care about. But there, there is just, you know, most security products sit on top of very large amounts of data data that needs to be prioritized. It needs to be um, communicated to different levels of users, you, you know, um, within the same tool. 
So you might need to communicate to an executive, you might need to communicate to a security analyst, you might need to communicate to an incident responder that's very, very technical, all within the same platform. So a lot of layering of data and, and explore, exploration is really important. Um, and you know, then you have the, the whole kind of UX uh, opportunity with helping the, the users, the, the, the general kind of consumers of information security within large enterprises who are trying to make the best decisions they can every day using you know, limited data. And I think you know, phishing is, is, is a great example where the attackers are just getting better and better, better and better at crafting phishing emails that are very convincing or text messages that are very convincing. And uh, I think there's a lot of room for the industry to, to do better in, in detecting those things and helping, helping users versus uh, chastising them. Yeah, those are all great points. You know, the idea, just to summarize what you're talking about, the idea that, you know, there are different types of users who may have different levels of knowledge that we need to be cognizant of, you know, not overwhelming the user. You know, at the end of the day, we're all humans and it's difficult. We're not computers. It's very difficult for us to process tons and tons of information. So, you know, being helpful, you know, placing things in context, helping people make more informed decisions without you know, making the decision for them. These are all, these are all great points. So I know we, you know, we only have a couple minutes left. Are, any parting words or advice for our listeners? Yeah, I think, um, you know, first of all, this, this has been a, a really great conversation. I think it's one that, um, that we don't have enough in, in the security industry, which is really thinking about the human aspects of, of what we do. Uh, too often we're, we're really thinking about, you know, software and vulnerabilities and uh you know uh breaches and not not really thinking about the users of of the products and, and the the humans who are involved in this and and with um with iot in particular i think it, it it is much closer to to humans whether that's like they're you know they're these devices are living in your physical environment they're doing things uh in in the real world uh, that that can directly affect you to the point that you know risks in in these devices can can lead to really catastrophic uh, implications for for human beings. And so uh, I think this is a a really great way to be talking about it and thinking about it. You know, I think we we spent a lot of time on trust, and you know, I just want to reiterate that anytime we feel like we have to, trust someone, a vendor, a product blindly, um, there's always opportunity to do better. There's always opportunity to assess uh, the, the risk. And, and again, that's, that's where, where we're focused. You know, we, our view is we should test everything uh, when, especially in those higher consequence environments, and we should make that data available as much as possible and provide more transparency in the buying process and you know you know, usage process of of all of these devices and that's that's what our mission is and we're you know on on that path right now and uh, i think you know it's going to be an exciting journey over the next few years to, to really get that out there yeah I'm, I'm excited to follow along is there anything that you'd like to promote or you know any ways that folks can get in touch with you yeah, uh, you can definitely reach out to to us through our uh, website, finitestate.io. Uh, there's a there's a contact uh, button on there that that you can 
you can get in touch with us. You can also uh, get in touch with us through through social media on Twitter or uh, at LinkedIn. And uh, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'd love to talk more about it. Thank you, Matt. This was really, really interesting. I learned a ton and I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks a lot, Heidi. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today.